Welcome to the Provo Pick and Roll podcast. Joining me today is the planner of urban environments, PS3 NCAA football campaign champion, and anime enthusiast, Brady Hill. How are you doing, Brady? I'm doing pretty good, Jordan. I'm I'm a multi-time college football NCAA oh, PS3 national sorry, champion. Sorry, I, for, I forgot to mention that. How, how many times, do you know? I've run several national championships with like Rice and uh, UTSA, uh, SMU. I usually go for the smaller schools that stink. And so like you feel so much progression when you win, like in a few different few years later. I don't know if there's a feeling quite like that. Maybe really like actually like winning <laughs> national championships. Like actually building up a program like that. Yeah. But if but. you're not Nick Saban, this is option B. Nice. Now you should feel you should feel very accomplished with that. But I'm actually I do have a bone to pick with you, Jordan. Um, I'm I feel hustled, I feel bamboozled, hoodwinked, actually into participating in this this bowl season pick 'em game with consequences at the end that you talked me into doing. Uh, because it's really I, I feel like this I was feel, a mutual like, decision. I feel like COVID has uh, interrupted this process in such a way that we're going to have to not continue because there's been like five or six games that didn't even happen. So even if I, and just for everyone listening, I am losing right now this, uh, this contest that we talked about in our last episode, losing but there's like five or six add. games that totally um, Very badly. canceled and that we picked differently on. And if I had gotten all those right, we were talking about a different story, but I didn't even wasn't not given that opportunity, which I don't think is very fair. And then there's also games that we did agree on that is okay. Um, that if people dropped out because they just wanted to drop out or drop out because of COVID or whatever, that we just say it was fine, but that was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. That was a bad idea. And then ret- retrospectively, I would like to appeal. Um, the whole process. So uh, we'll have to check with the committee on that one. So see what they have to say. The uh, pick of the bowls committee. But I mean, you knew this coming in, Brady. You knew this was going to impact. You know, COVID was going to impact um, this bowl season, and it definitely has. And honestly, were you going to win those games that got canceled anyways? Probably not, because. I've done pretty well this year with my picks. I felt pretty good about them. Also, might I add that um, Brady did not allow me to switch out my pick from the Texas A&M and uh, uh, wait, oh, Wake Forest game. Wake Forest. Yeah, Texas A&M were, were not able to field the team, so they didn't actually play in that game. And I got stuck with Rutgers instead, who got creamed by Wake Forest. And yeah, I, I mean... mean if I knew Rutgers was going to play that game, there's no way I'm picking them. I mean, at this point, you had already won, though. That's this true. Was like, this was just, I wanted to get a couple extra points. But so then you had I the gall. You had the gall to ask me if you could switch your LSU-Kansas State pick after that. It's ridiculous. Which was a good decision, and right? I mean, Kansas State did destroy LSU. So Yeah, I said in the podcast, if Skylar Thompson was playing, I would have definitely picked Kansas State, but I didn't know that. But you didn't. 
So <sighs> Will Howard. Anyways. Spill the pill, Howard. Messed me up again. I trusted him so little that I didn't think Kansas State could beat an LSU team that literally did not have a scholarship quarterback on their roster. That's how much I dislike the backup Kansas State quarterback. <laughs> so he won one won over on me again with his interceptions and inability to play quarterback. Yeah, but a good thing is going to come out of this in that you're all going to have you know, something to look forward to and that Brady's going to have to dress up as something now. I have to come up with something that he's going to dress up as and we're going to have our very first uh, YouTube episode so we can showcase, uh, you know, whatever it is I decide to make Brady wear. So I don't know if it can be our first episode. To that. What I don't do you know mean? if that could be your first impression. I think in their first episode probably should do a normal episode. You're just trying to delay your... your uh, your embarrassment to play long enough people forget i'm not going to forget well what i have not forgotten jordan uh is byu's disappointing loss to the university of alabama birmingham in the uh the prestigious uh shreveport independence radiance technologies independence bowl uh the Cougars dropped their final game of the season, 31 to 28. Uh, yeah, BYU was favored by seven. This was a disappointing game, Jordan. How do, how do you react? And, and we should have talked about this our last episode. We had other things that we discussed, and so we're kind of backtracking now. Uh, we want to delve into this a little bit before we move on as uh, the 2021 season is coming to a close. But what do you think about this game, Jordan? Overall, it was a very disappointing game. I mean, there's definitely a few things that you can point to as two reasons to why BYU lost. The first being that they didn't have their starting quarterback, Jaron Hall. Obviously, that, obviously that's going to affect how you play. But um, Baylor Romney is a very competent um, backup. So I feel like that can't be the complete excuse. Um, and really, Baylor Romney played pretty decent. He played like a really smart, clean game. He only passed for 195 yards, but um, he didn't make that many mistakes, didn't throw any interceptions, so I feel like you can't fault him too much there. Looking back at this game, I think the biggest thing that I'm going to remember is, you know, at the end of the game in the fourth quarter when um, BYU was making their drive, you know, they were down by three points. They are making their scoring drive to at least tie the game. Um, Beta Romney threw a pass to Samson Nakua, a post route down the middle. Samson Nakua caught the ball fine, then tried to tuck the ball away, and in the process of tucking the ball away, just fumbled the ball and lost, you know, turned the ball over to the other team. That was probably the most painful thing to watch because they were in field goal position already at that point, so they at least were in the position to tie the game. Um, but then, obviously, that negated any chance that they had of uh, making that that comeback. So, and I don't think I've ever seen a play like that before where an offensive player, you know, no contact from the defense just fumbled the ball out of their hands. Have you seen something like that before? I, I, I've seen it. Um, I've, I've seen it result in incompletions. 
because uh-huh. that happens pretty regularly on like screen passes and things like that, where the wide receiver is turning in their head and they're looking to run and they don't bring the ball with them, which is what happened. And they called it a fumble and it wasn't a fumble. It was an incompletion. Yeah. I don't uh, know. He did. I feel like I can see where the refs are coming from there though. Cause he did turn before he like tucked the ball away. So it's not like he was still handling the ball from the catch. But right? you need to make a football move. So yeah, so I don't think that was a football he, move. He literally just turned, and as he was, he caught the ball, and as he was turning, dropped the ball. So he had not made, in in my opinion, he had not made any football move. He just dropped the ball. He wasn't contacted. There wasn't like, yeah, I, I disagree with the call. If we're going to talk about that specific play, to be clear, that's I'm not pinning the loss on the referees. All right, this is not. I'm also not pinning the loss on Samson Nakua. Um, this was a team effort. Uh, but that was a disappointing play, and it was a disappointing way to to end the season, for sure. Um, there's a few statistics I'd like to point out in this game, which are a fitting representation uh, for the year for BYU. Um, first off, a couple caveats of context for this game. It was very, very windy in Shreveport. Um, I don't know if the TV announcers talked about that. I was listening on the radio uh, to Greg Rebell on my drive from Iowa to Kentucky. So this kept me awake for a few hours while I was driving. And and they'd mentioned all throughout the game how windy it was and how difficult it was to, would have been to pass the ball. It had just been raining. The field was wet. Um, it's very bad conditions. Those conditions go both ways. They go for UAB, they go for BYU, but it hurts BYU worse because BYU likes to throw the ball downfield off play action. And UAB is a much more run-oriented team. So those are just some caveats. Other caveats, like you said, um, Baylor Romney is a starting quarterback in this game. So Jaron Hall, uh, debatably, they're probably second best player. Um did not play makes a difference. Also, as we've talked about in other podcasts, their entire defense is injured. Uh, they have, they have several walk-ons playing on defense, which make a difference. They're, and they're also injured on offense. Isaac Rex is out. Um, Neil Pau was out. Um, James MP was out. So they, they were very depleted. It was rainy. It was wet. It was windy. It was in Shreveport. Who cares about UAB? Like there's lots of bad, all right, context you can take away. But despite all that, UAB lost to Clemson 56 to 7. All right. This team, they're a good Conference USA team. They're in Conference USA. They're not that good. Sorry. I'm not giving you any excuses. I don't care that how injured you are. I don't care about the wind. BYU is big and strong and good enough to where they should beat UAB regardless. Some statistics from this game which are telling third down conversion efficiency for UAB nine for 14 fourth down conversion efficiency two for two time of possession UAB 35 minutes 27 seconds BYU 24 minutes 33 seconds UAB rushed for 223 yards 5.2 yards clip on 43 rushing attempts so yeah I mean I feel like the BYU defense and their strategy of defense, once again, they're injured, they're depleted, I understand. The 
the strategy of defense holds this team back from being as good as they should be. And they let teams with players who are below average to average stay in their comfort zone and, and be able to play with the athletes and strength of BYU when they really shouldn't, they shouldn't be able to, and the scheme um, allows them to do so. Uh, going on to, uh, so I want to take this game with those kind of thoughts in mind in our discussion that we've had uh, and look at the entire year for BYU. Uh, to see, what, what, what were some of the things that you were impressed with Jordan first with this BYU team, what you saw um, throughout the season for BYU? Uh, first and foremost, I was impressed with their offense. I thought the offense was going to take a big step down with, I mean, mainly just losing Zach Wilson from last year, but then also other players like, you know, um, you know, some of their offensive linemen, um, Matt Bushman, who, you know, didn't end up playing a lot, but he was also a crucial part of the offense as well. Um, so to see, you know, other players step up into those roles, like to see Jaron Hall play as well as he has this season and to see some like the receiving core, um, of the Nakua brothers really step up and play really well. And Gunnar Romney, when he was healthy playing very well, um, that was, I think the, the thing that stuck out to me, uh, from the team the most this year, uh, what would you say? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I agree with that. Obviously, Tyler Algier, he was fourth in rushing yards in the country and first in rushing touchdowns, broke uh, BYU single season rushing record uh, in this UAB game. He's excellent all year, just declared for the NFL draft. So um, we're going to we're going to miss him. But he was excellent. Jaron Hall, I thought was excellent throughout the year. Baylor Romney as a backup was I think he went four and one. He was very good. Um, BYU didn't turn the ball over. They were 14th in the country in turnover margin, 12th in pass efficiency rating. Um, their third down conversion on offense, they were 16th. They were 26th in the country at uh, penalties committed. So like fewest penalties committed. So they're a disciplined um, team that gets ahead of the change and is very efficient on offense, which is very necessary and important considering some of these statistics that are kind of shocking about their defense, maybe not shocking if we, if you go back to those UAB numbers I just mentioned. Um, but here are some of their defensive statistics for the season that I, I think are worrying, I think, and I think are being uh, a little bit swept under the rug for BYU because of their success. They, they did win 10 games this year. They won 11 games last year and their offenses have been great the past two years, but here are some defensive statistics on third down their third down defense out of about 130 ish teams in division one, they are 106th allowing a at 43% clip for their other team to uh, get a first down on third down. On fourth down, they're 109th at over 65% of the time teams convert on fourth down. Uh, they're 101st at first downs given up. So they give up a lot of first downs, which makes sense considering the third and fourth down statistics. They're 109th in team tackles for a loss and 109th in team sacks. So they have very few negative plays 
the teams which contribute to the third and fourth down because teams are never behind the chains. They never go backwards. Uh, and they're, and, and this would all be okay. It'd be acceptable in a bend, but don't break defense if their red zone defense was elite. So if they gave up a lot of first downs, they gave up a lot of third down conversions or whatever, but they stopped teams in the red zone, but they were 72nd in the country in red zone defense and 87th in time of possession. So yeah, that's, I understand it's strategic. I understand they had a lot of injuries. So those are things that are important. They do matter. There needs to be nuance in this conversation, but they're really worrying to me. Yeah, no, I agree. And that, that's something that we've touched on uh, multiple times this season, especially when it comes to the time of possession. Just when you do have a good offense, even, even if you have like a great offense, if they're not on the field, it's hard for them to be effective. Um, so yeah, hopefully um, in the next um in the recent or the in the near future, we see a trend going up. Hopefully, we'll be able to put more scholarship players on the field on defense in the next few years. But um, yeah, yeah. And that's that's another question: Is BYU, if I'm correct in my understanding, AJ Middleton is their former strength and conditioning coach who left to Stanford last year, and they have Nuu uh, Tafisi right now, who's um, a, he used to he played for the Seattle Seahawks in I think in the in the aughts um, and he is now their head strength and conditioning coach maybe Klonstocki should look into that position maybe there's an issue because I know people get injured in football I know you need to have depth in order to compete and that's one of the biggest differences between power five schools and other schools is just the depth they have in the rotations but BYU has had so many injuries this year and also some last year uh, that maybe the strength and conditioning coach should they should take a look at that hmm. um, for their team. An yeah, another issue, point. yeah. BYU also did not have – they had 10, weeks, 10 games in a row without a bye week, and they'll have that same thing next year, which that, that helps to contribute to those injuries as well. That's not an ideal situation, um, and they don't – but they do get, I was about to say, they don't get cupcakes like the SEC when they get to play Georgia State, Alabama Tech at like in the middle of the season. But they do get that because of their weird schedule. They get to play Idaho State and <laughs> whoever uh, late into November. So, yeah, that would be something I would consider looking into if I was Kalani Stocky. I'm also a little worried. I know we've talked about this several times with Eliza Tuiaki and his strategies on defense. Um, he's really good friends with Sataki and Sataki really likes his coaching staff. So I don't know if that will be, I, I don't think the defensive issues will be addressed until the offense is not as good and can't carry them. And I, and I don't know. I'm just worried as a fan that there, there are things uh, not being talked enough about just because BYU is being successful. Um, but that doesn't mean there isn't problems to be addressed. So you're saying in that in the long run, it's going to be better for BYU to have a year where their offense isn't as good and they, you know, have a bad season, maybe ha have a losing record or something like that. 
to really make everyone wake up and see, all right, something needs to change on the defensive side of the ball. Well, no, no, I want them to win. (laughs) I'm a Texas fan. I'm not ever saying losing is good. All right. Just because like, I have a great appreciation for going nine and three or 10 and 10 and two after the past decade as a Texas fan. So I, I, if they can keep winning like this, great. But in order to win like this, they need to have these elite efficiency numbers on offense and they need to have NFL caliber quarterbacks with uh, an excellent offensive line. So if you can guarantee me that all of those things will continue to be so for the next forever, then the defense can do whatever it wants. It doesn't really matter that much if the offense is going to be that good. But if, if Jaron Hall threw 12 interceptions this year, BYU probably goes like six and six, seven and five. If Jaron Hall is not very good there, it puts so much pressure on your offense being excellent. If your defense puts them in tough situations on purpose. And I know we've, we've, I don't want to beat a dead horse. We've talked about that a lot, but it's looking at the season numbers. It backs up what my eyes are telling me because we talked about this all year and looking back at the whole season, uh, for all the teams in college football, BYU is pretty much dead last among teams who are not like uh, San Jose State or like, you know, Ohio or like the schools that never win anything. They're not any good. So it's, it's concerning. Um, but that said, this was a great year. As, as negative as that sounded, this was a great year. We've got 10 wins. Uh, disappointing ending, but 10 wins on a power five heavy schedule was, was really exciting. Beat Utah. It was a great season. So. Yep. I mean, when it comes down to it, it all, like beating Utah is really, it really just makes you feel good as a BYU fan. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we at least accomplished that throughout this season. So, but yeah, anyways, hopefully the BYU, uh, hopefully the defense continues to trend upwards. But today we want to spend a little, spend a little bit of time previewing what the offense is going to look like next year. So, yeah, Brady, did you do you want to break down, you know, who's coming back? You know, what are some people that we should look for to maybe take more of a prominent role in the offense next year with some people that are leaving? Um, what can we look forward to with the BYU offense next year? Well, I have a few names, a couple of people who are prominent people who are who are leaving the team um and i just want to get your thoughts on who do you think byu will miss most of this group you have tyler algier um obviously very productive one of the best BYU running backs of all time he is gonna he has chosen to go to the nfl um baylor romney has announced that he is ending his playing career at byu i don't i think it's unclear i don't know if he's planning on transferring somewhere else or if he's just done like he's just graduated and he's going to move on uh but he's not coming back for BYU uh James Impey who has hurt a lot of this season is a very good center for this team is uh declared for the NFL draft and Neil Pau as well has done the same I mean for me it's definitely got to be Tyler Tyler Algier I don't think there's any competition there because you know, since the BYU offense does rely so much on that balance of running and passing the ball so they can open up those play actions to throw deeper passes down the field. Um, you know, the running efficiency with the other, the other running backs that we have has not been very good. It's usually Algier gets some pretty good yardage. Kato will 
every so often get decent yardage, but then beyond that, it doesn't seem like um, we're able to get much going. But hopefully, you know, hopefully those guys, those other running backs will be able to step up uh, next year. Well, as far as returning contributors, contributors in the running back room, we have Lopini Katoas coming back for one more season, so we'll have him for another year. Jackson McChesney, who has been injured but has shown in his little bit of playing time a lot of promise. He ran for like 240 yards or something that like that on UMass uh, a season or two ago. Now it's UMass, but still, like uh, he's very impressive. Also had that uh, end of the game touchdown for BYU to seal the USC game. That was very important. And then Miles Davis, who I am really high on. I think Miles Davis is going to be an excellent running back for BYU. He was injured at the beginning of the season. We haven't really seen much of him this year at all. But I think he's going to be very good. And then they just landed the Cal transfer leading rusher, Christopher Brooks. Um, he's, he's like 6'1", 235. He's a power back, has good vision, uh, is, runs downhill. He's, he doesn't have top-end speed. He's not super agile, but he, he's big and strong and has good vision. He's experienced. Ran for 607 yards this past year for, for the Golden Bears. Um, so I'm interested to see how that breaks down next year because Algier got like all the carries this year for good reason. He was excellent. But it may be a lot more running back by committee next year. Um, is there anyone that you're feeling particularly good about in that group? I mean, I don't know about no, I don't know much about the Cal transfer or Miles Davis. Um, like as you mentioned, the brief time that we saw um, McChesney, is that his name? Yep. Um, he looked pretty good because he's he showed some good bursts of you know showing potential and everything. Um, but yeah, with Lapina Katoa, he hasn't ever like he's been like consistent, I guess. Like he's yeah. someone that you can count on to get maybe three, four yards a carry. Um, but he never really has those big um, breakout plays like where, where he explodes for 20, 30 yards, you know, and something like that. So um, I'd be more excited about those other running backs that you mentioned to see uh, what they could bring to the table. And then Mitch Chesney as well. So. Yeah. I think Kato is a very good alternative back. He's got really good hands. Um, so they can use him in the passing game, but yeah, like you said, he's not like super explosive. He's just a good, solid, solid guy to have the rotation. So we'll see how these other guys develop. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Algier will be probably the, the most missed. He's obviously, he was excellent here at BYU and, uh, kind of to move on a little bit to who is coming in to the offense. We already mission mentioned Christopher Brooks from California. Um, and they also just landed a transfer from Stanford, who's a fullback, kind of a, he'll take a Mason Wake blocking role with this team. Um, but two specifically people I'm excited about on the offense is number one, we've mentioned him in a previous podcast, Kingsley Suamataia, the five-star uh, right tackle transfer from Oregon, it's from Orem High came back home to BYU. He is a freshman. Um, so, but well, he will have a chance to compete immediately for playing time. Uh, he may start at right tackle next year. 
he's like 330 pounds, like six, six. He's a big, strong athletic tackle who has high NFL first round talent. So we'll see how he translates uh, this next year. Excited to see that. And then Cody Hagan is a, the highest rated recruit from this 2022 class. He's a four-star receiver out of corner Canyon high school. Um, who is a, he's a track star. He has excellent speed. Um, and then at six one, he has decent, decent size. Um, he's, he's very explosive and he'll have an opportunity to crack the starting rotation, even with this talented returning wide receiver group for BYU. Uh, is there a, is there a group on offense that you're most worried about or, or perhaps a group on offense that BYU should attack the transfer portal if they can and try to get another weapon. So just to clarify, so you're saying that no one from the receiving core is going to be leaving, including the tight ends? Just Neil Pau. Just Neil Pau. Isaac Rex hurt his ankle against USC. I don't know what his timetable for return is. I assume we'll see him next year. But okay. other than that, Puka Nakua, oh, Samson Nakua also is gone. He, he's, uh, his eligibility ran out. So we have Puka Nakua, oh, gotcha. Gunnar Romney, Keanu Hill, Cody Epps, Chris Jackson returning. And then, uh, and then the freshman I just mentioned, Cody Hagan coming in. So, yeah, if we're talking about the offense, I mean, I feel like everything sounds pretty good. Like the main one that I expressed concern about previously is the running back position because obviously filling the void that, um, Tyler Algier is going to leave is going to be hard, but um, you've got me feeling a little bit better now talking about those other running backs that are going to be coming in. Um, yeah, I feel like the receiving core should be good. Um, tight ends will still have fantastic tight ends. Offensive line should be decent, I think. And then quarterbacks, if we still have Jaron Hall, and then I think it'll be really cool to see uh, Jacob Conover, if he can get some playing time, kind of learning from Jaron Hall so that he can um, – you know, build up for his future seasons, which, you know, it seems like he'll be the next starting quarterback of uh, BYU. Um, I think, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to as far as the offense goes. Yeah, they still have Soljay Mayava as the third string quarterback. Um, he's a former three star. Um, and so the quarterback room is good. I feel pretty good about the running back room, barring injury with these guys. Uh, it, it has the most question marks, like you said, but I feel pretty good about it. The wide receiver room, I feel very good about. Once again, barring injury. Uh, tight ends, Dallin Holker, Mason Wake, Isaac Rex. And then the offensive line will be excellent. They're returning everybody except for James Empey. Blake Freeland, Clark Barrington are going to dominate on the left side of the line like they have. Connor Pay had a lot of snaps at center this year. Joe uh, Tukuafu is coming back. He's like, He was like, he was in the, if you can believe this, he's in the 2014 recruiting class. So that's, that's our year, I think, right? How is he still playing? How is he? I don't remember. I have to look back at it. He, he served a mission and I think he had some like medical red shirts and then there was a COVID year or whatever, but he's, he has another year of eligibility. So he's coming back again and he's had a lot of starting experience. Campbell Barrington, a young, I think he was a freshman this year. He played really well. Harris Lachance as well. Both have experience at right tackle. And then, like I mentioned before, Sua Mataia coming in as a five-star, uh, the chance to play right away at right tackle. Um, it's, it's great. They have depth and experience 
and size and strength. Like their offensive line will be excellent. Quarterback will be excellent. Jaron Hall will be one of the best returning quarterbacks in the country. Top, he'll be a top 10 quarterback in the country coming back. Some, I, I would maybe even argue top five. So uh, it's an exciting, exciting year on offense. Looking forward to the next season. I think I'm feeling really good about it. Wow, that's pretty bold. So are you saying that there's a potential that we could have a Heisman candidate next year? Are you going to go that far as to say um, something like that? I think, I don't know if it'd be a Heisman candidate. I think BYU would have to, they'd have to win 11 games for him to for be that to be, to be even considered. Um, did, uh, Zach Wilson even go to New York last year? Oh, did they even do that? I don't even remember what happened last year, honestly. I don't remember. I doubt that they did like an actual ceremony. Um, but yeah, even, even Zach Wilson didn't win the Heisman with his year last year. And, and we'll, we'll look ahead on at this another day, but the schedule for BYU will be the toughest BYU schedule ever. So um, that will be exciting. But if they get everyone healthy through the spring, through summer practices on offense, and then recover a lot of the guys that went down for the season on defense, it's looking looking pretty good for next year. Well, in, in, a, in another episode um, further along in the year, we'll discuss uh, the situation with BYU's defense, returning contributors, and uh, kind of look ahead and preview the defense for the 2022 season way too early. Sounds good. Looking forward to that. Well, I think we spent enough time talking about BYU football, so we just wanted to jump and talk a little bit about the rest of the bowl games that have been happening. Um, It's been a fun time. Bowl season is always fun. Um, So we just wanted to ask some questions. about how the bulls have happened, how they've gone down. So the first question I wanted to ask you, Brady, is what game surprised you most out of all the bowl games that have taken place so far? Uh, The game that surprised me most. Let's see, sorry, I'm pulling pulling them up right here. I should have written it down uh, before we started. Uh, do you want to go ahead and go for a story? Yeah, I'll go for I'm, I'm looking them up right now. So the game that surprised me the most was the Maryland-Virginia Tech game. Um, I didn't anticipate that Maryland would win, but I did not anticipate that it would be by 44 points, um, mainly because I didn't think that Maryland could score that many points. I mean, they've, they've shown that they can put points up on the board in other games before, but against lesser opponents than um, Virginia Tech, in my opinion. But, yeah, that was impressive, especially considering that Virginia Tech didn't really turn the ball over very much to lead to those points. It was mainly just the offense was able to really march down the field and put up all those points on the board. So that would be kind of my most surprising game. Yeah, for sure. The talk of Iloa is that Maryland quarterback – He's had some up and down games, like he got torn up against Iowa, but he's really talented. So they do have some talent there. And Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech is, I don't know what happened. Virginia Tech used to be really good when we were growing up and they've, they've fallen off the map yeah. a little bit. Uh, I was most shocked by the 
the Leach, Mike Leach Bowl um, with Texas Tech uh, against Mississippi State. Texas Tech ran for all kinds of yardage. I'm trying to look at the box score right now for that game. Um, they ran for over 200 yards, 260 yards on Mississippi State. Texas Tech ran for 260 yards. And Donovan Smith, their young uh, quarterback who's played about half the year, he threw for 252 and a touchdown. And the Texas Tech defense shut down Mississippi State's running attack. They ran the ball for 54 yards, which this is Mike Leach's, Mike Leach's air raid, so they don't exactly run a lot. Um, but Will Rogers has the second highest uh, passing yards in the country. He was contained for most of the game as well. Only one touchdown and also threw an interception. So 34 to seven win over Mike Leach's Mississippi State Bulldogs was pretty impressive for Texas Tech. Yeah, I thought that was kind of surprising as well. Um, another question, who do you feel like should feel the best coming off of their bowl win at the end of the season? Oh, man. Um, uh, who should feel the best coming off their bowl win? Probably Utah State. Uh, maybe not looking forward to next year as much. I need to do some more research for the Aggies, but Utah State went 11-3 and this year with one of those losses being to BYU and they won pretty handily against Oregon state 24 to 13 and won the mountain West conference in a year that they were not projected to be very good. So they, that's, that's gotta be like the winner of the season, maybe them and UTSA, although UTSA lost their last game to San Diego state, but sincere McCormick didn't play in that game. So that's asterisks asterisks to that but um yeah Utah State would probably be my pick yeah as I was contemplating this question I realized that the real answer is nobody <laughs> and, like all the teams that I thought would like be able to win and like carry their own momentum into next year it didn't really end up working out as well or they just didn't look as good as strong in their bowl game that as, as I thought they would like Ohio State for example even with their um you know, without having all their players because they were, um, you know, not wanting to play because they wanted to save themselves for the NFL draft. I still feel like they didn't look super strong against Utah. They did come out with the win and everything, and it was very impressive. By the way, yeah, Jackson Smith and Jigba, he had like 300-something receiving yards and three touchdowns. That was a, that was crazy to watch. But um, so I can't it's really another, say – It's another kid out of Texas playing for someone else who's excellent. yeah. yeah. But, you know, Texas will probably get to retain more of their recruits in the future, moving to the SEC. Well, we'll see how that goes. Um, but, yeah, so I can't really say that I feel like Ohio State's a big winner. If I had to pick one, I might pick Arkansas. And I haven't done the research to really see who they're all returning. But I know Katie Jefferson is a sophomore, so there's potential for him to return. Do you know his status? Uh, KJ Jefferson, is that what mm -hmm. you mean? Yeah. Yeah, he's coming back. He's a true okay. sophomore, um, yeah. and he's definitely not NFL ready. He was yeah. he was very impressive this year. He's he's huge. He's like 6'3", 245, and pretty fleet of foot. Uh, so he runs the ball pretty well, and he only threw four interceptions in that Arkansas offense and 2,676 2, yards, 21 touchdowns. So he was very good this year. He's coming back. 
I would be really excited if I was Arkansas. As far as looking ahead to next year, mm-hmm. they were one of my two. I, I, you said both of them actually was Arkansas and Ohio State. Um, Ohio yeah. State, they're gonna they're gonna win the. I, I guess I thought they would win the Big Ten this year. So they still have problems on defense that they need to shore up, especially along the defensive line, which is weird to say for Ohio State. But um, their offense is going to be excellent again, maybe the best offense in the country next year with C.J. Stroud returning, Henderson, their running back coming back. Um, does does Harrison Jr. He comes back next year with Ohio State, I believe, and then Smith and Jigba, like they're going to be. Yeah, yeah. They're going to score a lot of points. Yeah. Next year. So Arkansas and Ohio State, uh, I agree. Those were probably the two, as far as looking ahead to next season, the winners so far of bowl season. Yep. Um, who was the most disappointing to watch? Ooh. Um, uh, I don't know if this is disappointing, but the game was disappointing was Baylor Ole Miss with Matt Corral getting hurt in the first quarter of that game and it not really being quite the contest. Like it was close actually until the end, until the fourth quarter, it was tied seven, seven, but uh, that game wasn't as interesting or competitive as I had hoped it would be with Matt Corral still playing. So his injury was um, disappointing and so therefore the game was pretty disappointing. Uh, yeah. What 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 are your thoughts on uh, on that, Jordan? I mean, yeah, that was the disappointing one. The most, I think, I mean, the most disappointing game for me was the Cincinnati Alabama game. I was, you know, we've been really like yearning for the Group Five, <laughs> you know, the Group Five Power Five matchup to happen, and. I didn't, you know, I wasn't saying like Cincinnati needs to win. I just really wanted them to show that, yes, we belong here. Like we should have the chance to be in the college football playoff, but they didn't, they didn't really show that much. And I think really what it came down to is they lost the battle up front, which can't really fault them because the offensive and defensive lines of Alabama are always going to be top tier because they always get all those best, all of the best recruits and everything. So that's hard to say, and but it's just hard because, yeah, like you can't really fault Desmond Ritter too much because he had no time, you know, to yeah. show the football in that game at all. So it's hard. It's hard to – that was a hard game to watch. Um, and then whenever Cincinnati did seem like they had some momentum and had uh, an opportunity, they were not able to capitalize, didn't score any touchdowns, got a couple field goals, but that was about it. I guess another game of note that was disappointing. It wasn't necessarily disappointing in the team, but uh, I was disappointed in the UTSA San Diego mm. state game because sincere McCormack didn't play. Yeah. I, I thought that was going to be one of the best games of all of bowl season, but without UTSA's best player, they couldn't really keep it. Which, uh, they still gave up 38 points to San Diego state and let their uh, below average quarterback throw for over 300 yards. So maybe the outcome wouldn't have been different, but um not having sincere McCormack in that game was disappointing as a viewer. Just real briefly, Jordan, I wanted to talk about um, the opt-out situation. This is becoming more prominent with college football players uh, in the bowl season, especially those who are looking to 
um, enter the NFL draft, skipping some of these games, even games like you mentioned with Ohio State, even Ohio State players in the Rose Bowl mm-hmm. deciding they don't want to play. Uh, they don't want to risk injury. And and the prime example or the most recent example is Matt Corral deciding to play, one of the highest um, rated quarterbacks in this upcoming draft, getting hurt in the first quarter of the Sugar Bowl. Um, what are your thoughts on on these player decisions to skip out? Yeah, I think I've mentioned this before, but I, I don't like it. I don't think it's good for the sport. I don't think it's, I can see how it's beneficial for the players, like for the rare, you know, the circumstance, I guess I shouldn't say rare because it's not that rare that you get injured in football, but you know, I mean, I feel like you owe it to your team to be able to show up. Um, Like you're, you're given a scholarship to to play for that school and you should show up and uh, also just like support your teammates uh, by being on the field. Um, I guess you can kind of point to certain circumstances like looking in the pit game where um, Pitt starting quarterback, I can't remember his name, but he decided to opt out. Kenny Pickett decided to opt out and his backup gets injured like second play of the game. And so if you're Kenny Pickett, you're like, could have been me. That, that would have been me. Like, that's yep. probably a good decision for me to not do that. But, like, it's still, like, so I, I, I can understand that side of the argument. But I think it's bad for the sport. I think it's bad for the fans, bad for the teams. And then I feel like, you know, it's good for the players to play in those games for the experience of being in, like, more of a high-pressure situation, you know. So for those the NFL talents, um, you know, being in those pressure situations that maybe could prepare them for – going to, you know, the playoffs in the NFL in their future careers. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I want to ask you a question first. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to change the question a little bit. All right. So I'm going to make you Kenny Pickett. All right. You're Kenny Pickett. You just won the ACC. You are projected as the number one right now by a lot of people, the number one NFL quarterback draft prospect for this upcoming draft class. You just won the ACC. You're in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. You get to play Michigan State. Uh, what would you do? I mean, let, me, let me rephrase it again. You were not Kenny Pickett. Your son is Kenny Pickett. You were Kenny Pickett's father. And he's saying, Dad, what should I do? Should I play in the Peach Bowl or should I sit it out and just wait for the draft? What would you advise your child to do? I mean, that's what I'm saying, because obviously the smart decision, the one that makes the most like logical sense is to sit out. Yep. So if you're if you're only going by uh, logic and reasoning, that is the obvious decision. But if you allow your emotions to get in there, um, you know, thinking about like all the emotions that are tied into that emotions about, you know, finishing up your career, um, your college career there emotions about, you know, this being like the last game with your teammates um supporting them like i feel like there's a lot more that should go into that than just the logic and reasoning part of it so but okay so i guess to, to really answer your question since i am kind of a logical person i'd probably do what kenny Pickett did <laughs> but i'm saying he shouldn't do that okay I, i'm glad that you brought up both sides because i think this is an important point to make for people on this discussion where I feel like people are very strongly on either side. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you should support like Kenny uh Kenny Pickett is not dumb and he's not uh a bad person. He's not he, he's being a little bit selfish, but he's being selfish in a way that I most people, if they were in his corner, would advise him to do uh in sitting out the game. If it's not like a championship, like the game you can win the Peach Bowl, which is great, and there is intrinsic value to that, but you're not actually going to win a championship doing that. So I don't have a problem with him sitting out. But on the flip side, Matt Corral said, I want to play my last game in college, college football. I get to play in the Sugar Bowl. This is awesome. I want to be with my teammates and play, and that's emotional, important reasons for him. He is not dumb for not sitting out. I think they both are valid, although I would propose this uh correction i guess to the system right now i do not believe that if kenny pickett or i'm just using him as an example that's who have chosen for the segment it's one probably the most prominent person sitting out that person sitting out should not be allowed to go to the bowl game they shouldn't be allowed to go to the team parties where they like get team swag and do like games and stuff and get to go watch the game and be on the sideline with his teammates. If you sit out, I think it's a valid decision. Your decision should be respected. I would do it if it were me. Probably, but you are not on the team anymore. You have, you have decided, okay, I'm done with college football. You shouldn't be allowed to come in my opinion. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that you should, yeah, that's what I think. Hmm. I think they should just banish them. Well, not banish them. I think like they I, just can't, they can't come at all. We talk about it. We, we, we talk about opting out. So they could be a fan in, up in the stands. Yeah. You can pay your own ticket. Yeah. You can pay your own ticket to come if you want to watch, but, uh, they have this term opting out where it's not really an opt out. Like you said, the, the university is giving you a scholarship and now with NIL, people are paying you a lot of money to go play football and represent them on national television and to support their program and support their school and all that. So if you're choosing not to do it, you're not opting out, you're quitting. It's a nice way of saying you're quitting, which is fine. I want to, I want to make sure this is a nuanced conversation with, I don't actually have a problem with you quitting. It's a smart decision. You should be allowed to do it. You shouldn't be berated or looked down upon for doing it, but it doesn't change the fact that what you're doing is quitting. And you shouldn't necessarily have the rewards of that as well. Because if you're, if you're quitting and you're not playing on purpose and you're not injured, you are removing yourself from the university. You're, you're done. You have essentially graduated football. Interesting take. Interesting take. I, I mean, I can, I can understand it for sure. Um, I just don't see it actually being carried out. I don't see it as a feasible thing for someone to actually, yeah, carry it, out. It wouldn't be carried out so, by individual universities because there's no reason that Oklahoma would just say to their star athletes, yeah, we yeah. just don't care about you anymore. Because You're saying the NCAA. The NCAA should do that. They say, hey, yeah. if you opt out, you don't get to come. You're done. 
but the NCAA doesn't have any backbone and they also don't really matter anymore. No one like pays attention. They don't do anything that's relevant. So that probably won't ever happen. But I would say that would be something that should happen. It should be a regulation that the NCAA institutes. Say, if you want to step away, that's fine. We understand. Go for it. But there are, there are consequences to what you're doing. Okay. All right. Well, to kind of wrap up our college football discussion, we're going to talk about the, the games that no one's been opting out of, and that's the college football playoff. Um, what were your thoughts on the semifinal games that we watched this last week? Well, let's let's start with that Cincinnati-Alabama game uh, that you brought up, where Alabama just kind of old-school Alabama. Like, Bryce Young only threw for 181 yards. He did have three touchdowns, but the uh, the defense for Cincinnati, led by uh, uh, by Kobe Bryant and uh, and their other cornerback, his nickname Sauce. I don't remember his last name. Anyways, they're cornerbacks who are like NFL prospects, first round pick type cornerbacks. Did a really good job in this game, holding Bryce Young in check. But Brian Robinson ran for. 204 yards and Alabama as a team ran for 301 yards on 47 carries 6.4 yards a clip and it's pretty hard to to win a game when the other team runs for 300 plus yards and can control the ball like that and and Cincinnati's offense was was pretty putrid Desmond Ritter 144 yards no touchdowns they only had 74 yards on the ground yeah it just it was it was domination physically, but not not in a way that I actually felt Cincinnati got dominated. Like they lost six to twenty seven, but the game felt within reach until Bama scored their first score in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, and I, so it, I think this game was closer than the score would indicate. I guess that's true, but I. Uh, you know, watching it, kind of being a, a, a fan of someone, root, you know, someone rooting for Cincinnati, I never really felt that much hope for Cincinnati to, like, really pull it out because they just didn't really get anything going on offense. Like, if there were glimpses and, um, you know, indications, like, earlier on in the game that they were going to go down and maybe score a touchdown, then I would have had more hope. But they're just – it didn't ever seem like there was a point in the game where there was that. Um, that could be just me being pessimistic, but yeah, um, Cincinnati. I, I didn't think that Alabama, with their offense, because their offensive line has struggled until these past couple of games. I didn't think that Alabama's offensive line would be able to dominate Cincinnati the way that they did. I knew that Cincinnati was offensively was not particularly dynamic but I thought they're um, I thought they'd be able to um, physically play with Alabama well enough to make it a little more of a game there were a couple particular plays that could have swung the game um, one was Alabama's score late in the second half or late in the second quarter that extended the game to 17 to three at halftime instead of 10 to three that felt a lot different going in after that late score for Alabama. 
And then when Cincinnati had to settle for a field goal after having that slant route that was wide open for a touchdown batted at the line by the Alabama defensive line, if they convert that slant route, which once again, I said was, it was wide open. It was right there. It's just a great play by Alabama. We're looking at seven, seven, seven in the first quarter. And with momentum, momentum is big in college football with these young kids and just to be a little bit closer. And then like once again, in the third quarter, a chance for Cincinnati to sneak back in this game. It was only 17 to three. They get a touchdown 17 to 10 or only within one score, but they had to settle for another field goal. And yeah, they just couldn't quite get it done when they needed to. Yeah, that was disappointing. And then the, um, the other semifinal game was obviously Georgia and Michigan. I actually didn't have a chance to watch this game, but yeah, Georgia completely manhandled Michigan and we, we thought that this was going to be kind of a closer fought, low scoring game, but Georgia ended, ended up putting 34 points on the board. What were your, what were your thoughts on that game? I mean, yeah, you didn't miss much. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, Georgia just ran down Michigan's throat and uh, just really outperformed. Michigan on every level. I thought Michigan's defensive line uh, with Hutchinson and their um, their other kind of outside linebacker um, defensive end hybrid who's going to be a first first round pick. I thought that they would be able to control Georgia's running game quite a bit better, but that was that was not the case. Um, uh, Georgia ran for 190 yards, 5.4 yards a carry. And then Stetson Bennett actually played really well because he had no pressure on him all game and threw for 313 yards and three touchdowns. So yeah. I think that is that is really going to be the key for Georgia is, is how Stetson Bennett plays um, against Alabama. Well, and then kind of, as you already pointed out, how much time he has too, because in that SEC championship game, yeah, didn't definitely like comparing that game between the semifinal game, he definitely had way more time in the pocket um, against Michigan than he did against Alabama. So we'll have to see, and I'll be interested to see, you know, the adjustments that I'm sure Kirby Smart is trying to make on the offensive side of the ball after that uh, game, the, the SEC championship game, so... I was looking at some statistics for Stetson Bennett and the differences between Stetson Bennett with a clean pocket and Stetson Bennett under pressure are pretty jarring. Uh, I don't have them in front of me right now, but the, but when Stetson Bennett is under pressure, he has a QBR rating of like 38.2 and his completion percentage is like 30.2. And he has like, four interceptions on the year. Um, and then this last game, like you mentioned against Alabama threw two interceptions in the sec championship game last year against Alabama, he threw three interceptions. And if you, I don't know if anyone, if, if you were watching the Georgia Michigan game, there was a play where they flushed Stetson Bennett out one of the few times they did and, and flushed him out to his right. And he was rolling and he floated a ball like Probably, it felt like 40 yards in the air going about five miles an hour across his body to the middle of the field running out of bounds. And it ended up 
falling to the the ground because like four people were like standing under it like a punt and they all jumped up and they just didn't happen to intercept it it fell down but it was like total panic just ah just threw it threw it golden rule of quarterback play dangerous kind of pass and i was like oh man if he has will anderson doing that to him next week (laughs) that play is going to go differently and there's going to be a lot more of those plays so yeah, what, what do you think, other than Stetson Bennett, do you think there's any key to Georgia finally getting over the Alabama hump and getting the first national championship since 1980? Yeah, just winning the battle in the trenches. I think it's going to be big um, for the defensive line of Georgia to get some pressure on Bryce Young. Although Bryce Young, I mean, he's shown great ability being able to, um, you know, make plays on the fly, moving in the pocket. And it's been so um, cool to see his creativity. He's almost got a Patrick Mahomes-esque style, you know, the way that he does no-look passes or little flip passes sometimes that you just don't really see coming. And the defense obviously doesn't see coming. So, Um, But I think, obviously, if he has all day to throw in the pocket, he will will break down that uh, Georgia secondary. So getting some pressure on him on that side of the ball is going to be key. Yeah, for sure. And if Georgia needs to, they need to get ahead early. If they fall behind like they did against Alabama in the SEC championship game and they have to, they have to throw the ball, they can't just rely on their defense in the run game, uh, they're going to be in trouble because they're going to put, they're going to eliminate the threat of their play action, which Stetson Bennett relies on to in order to have time and in order to um, delay the pressure from the ends to give him a clean pocket. If, if they just know it's going to be a pass play and you have to rely on your 5'11 former walk-on to win you the national championship, probably not going to happen, especially when you consider how good Alabama's pass rush is. And you saw that against Desmond Ritter, who's running for his life all day in the semifinal game. So with all that said, who do you, who's your final pick? I know we discussed this in the last podcast, but do you still think Georgia's going to get it done or is it going to be Bama again? I mean, logically, it's going to be Bama, but I'm sticking to my guns and I'm going to go with Georgia. Okay. Okay. I don't believe you. I think Georgia's going to lose for like the 15th time to Alabama um, unless they somehow give the ball to Brock Bowers every play um have you seen this kid play they're tied in georgia's tight end number 19 he's good he's a true freshman he is the best freshman i've like ever seen yeah play football like to be that talented and big and strong and athletic as a true freshman <laughs> he's amazing to watch that kid he's gonna be great uh 52 reception 846 yards and 12 touchdowns 16.3 yards a touch this year so yeah if you, if you gave me those yeah if you gave me those statistics i was like well which which wide receiver was that i but think yeah. that's better than all of byu wide receivers this year wow. that's crazy so yeah that dude's a freaking beast but i don't think that he can be uh do enough on offense all by himself to beat bama so i'm gonna take nick saban and uh bryce young boring lame <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. 
All right. Well, this has been a fun discussion. Um, sad to see that the college football season is coming to an end. It's next Monday with the championship game, but hopefully it'll be a fun game to watch. And um, yeah, we're glad that you've all joined us on this ride that has been the 2021-2022 college football season. It's been fun. I'm glad you've listened to our opinions on it, our rantings. So, yeah. So, yeah, that wraps up our discussion. In the next segment, we're going to be talking about um, more basketball-related topics, going to talk about college basketball a little bit, and also the NBA and some of the implications that are surrounding those leagues. So stay tuned. And welcome back to the Provo Pick and Roll podcast. Uh, We're going to transition in this segment to uh, talking a little bit more about basketball. We're going to start at the college level and we wanted to break down which of the conferences are performing the best so far as we are about to enter conference play. Most important part of the season for um, building tournament resumes and, and obviously trying to win your respective conference championship for a lot of these different teams. We're going to break down some of the best teams in the country that are coming out of these major conferences. And then after that, we'll talk a little bit NBA, uh, letting Jordan, let Jordan have his time to, uh, to inform me and inform you of what's going on in the association right now. Uh, and then at the very end, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, our favorite sports movies as I am snowed in right now in Kentucky and need some movies to watch while uh, I don't have anything else to do or anywhere else to, anywhere else to go right now. But first, um, college basketball, Jordan. Um, have you been able to watch very much college basketball over this this break? I mean, a dec- decent amount. It seems like I was struggling, though, because a lot of the games that I had kind of was planning to watch ended up getting canceled due to COVID issues. Um, so that was a bit disappointing. But regardless, I've still been able to see like a fair amount of college basketball and from what I've seen so far it's really made me excited I feel like we have a lot of very talented team this team this season and um yeah it'll be interesting I feel like there's a lot of potential final four contender teams in the field this year yeah it's it's been hard to evaluate I feel like for the games that I've watched because I know for for Texas they just got two wins in conference so they just beat West Virginia and they just beat Kansas State but West Virginia was at without their their leading scorer because of COVID, and then Kansas State only had seven scholarship players in their game. So they won. Texas beat those teams, but what does that even really mean? And that's all across the country. Their BYU BYU games are getting canceled in the WCC, and then other games that aren't being canceled are kind of have an asterisk by them. Uh, but despite that, there's been some exciting games. If, if you were able to watch the Kentucky LSU game the other night, that was an excellent game. Very fun uh, in Baton Rouge as the Tigers come away with a, a uh, last minute win over the Wildcats. And it's been exciting. So let's let's dive into it. Uh, we wanted to start talking about the Big Ten Conference um, and who out of this conference has impressed you thus far? Who are you looking at to be in the running to uh, compete for the conference championship in the Big Ten? 
Yeah, I think the Big Ten is going to be an interesting conference because so right now they currently have four teams in the top 25 and they they have a lot of teams that are a few other teams that are not currently ranked like Illinois and Rutgers that could potentially creep their way in by the end of the season. Um, Towards the beginning of the season, I was really uh, towards the beginning of the season. I was really high on Purdue. Uh, They had looked really good. I talked about the the tremendous size that they have and the the veteran shooting that they have with uh, Stefanski coming back. And they, they seem to have a lot of talent. Um, However, as of late, I've kind of been a little bit more discouraged from them on Monday. They, they dropped a game to Wisconsin, who is a very good team, by the way. So no one can't knock them for that. And Wisconsin was able to win that game behind 37 points from their best player, uh, uh, Johnny Davis. So, um, Wisconsin is a good team, so you can't fault them for that. But then also uh, dropping the game against Rutgers. But um, I, I mean, it came down to the end, and Ron Harper Jr. had to make made a had to make a half court shot to win the game. But that was kind of um, a disappointing loss for them as well. I think what it comes down to for Purdue is they need to improve their uh, perimeter defense. Um, teams seem to be able to that have like those perimeter scores seem to be scoring very easily on them like even they they played nickel state just before the new years and they had a player that uh scored nine threes on them um Mm. so yeah it's just kind of i I think it just comes down to that they just need to tighten down their perimeter defense because obviously with the big seven four zach Eady in the middle and travion williams they their 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 interior defense is pretty good but on the perimeter they need to step up yeah offensively purdue is really impressive and they're fun to watch with those two big guys you just mentioned um, as well as some pretty, pretty elite outside shooting um, with Ivy shooting 44.8% on the year. Uh, uh, Stefanovic, is that how you say his name? It's the other yeah. guard. Mm-hmm. He's 42.4% and then Gillis is a forward at 52.4%. So they got offensively it's a very potent team and, and it's a very diverse team beach in a lot of different ways. But yeah, they got to step it up on the defensive end. That loss to Wisconsin, though, uh, I, I don't like you said. I don't think that's a bad loss at all. Wisconsin is very impressive, and they might have the best player, maybe in the whole country, um, in uh, in Johnny Davis. Yeah, he looked really good the other night. I was impressed. That was my first game watching him, so I hadn't seen him before. But he seems to be one of those players that scores effortlessly. He just knows where he needs to be on the floor and he doesn't try to take unnecessarily difficult shots. He knows how to get his shots. That will be high percentage. So yeah, very fun to watch. And I just want to mention Brad Davison. I don't know how he's still on the Wisconsin team, but somehow he's still on there. (laughs) I think this is his fifth year. He's a COVID senior, but I was pleasantly surprised to see him out on the, on the court in a Wisconsin uniform as well. So I have a couple questions for you, Jordan, about the Big Ten. I don't know if you've been able to watch very much of these teams, but there's there's one surprising team that has not performed well in Michigan. They're seven mm-hmm. and six right now, uh, and struggling. And then on the opposite end, you have Ohio State at nine and two, ranked number thirteen, and Michigan State at number ten at thirteen and two on the season. Can you tell me anything about any of those three teams and and what you've seen? Uh, from them yeah i haven't watched um so starting with michigan i haven't watched much from them the only game i watched from them this season was when they played north carolina and 
North Carolina ended up creaming them by 20 points. Um, so yeah, I think, um, and I was, I was thinking that Michigan would be a lot better because it didn't seem like they were losing a ton. They did lose um, Isaiah Livers, who was their leading scorer last year, but you know, they were returning a bunch of players like Elijah Brooks, um, who's the, their big left-handed big guy. And then they had some um, promising freshmen as well that um, were in the forward position. So I thought they were going to still be good, but I think it's just a case of the team hasn't really come together yet since there's a lot of new faces. So um, yeah, I don't know what else. I believe they lost uh, was Wagner was on the team last year, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And then they still have Hunter Dickinson right now. They're seven, one big man. That's the guy I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I guess Wagner was a big lot, was a decent loss too, but I mean, yeah, I felt like the backbone of the team last year was really like Hunter Dickinson. So, yeah, but, um, and then, yeah, Michigan state. Um, I haven't watched much from them this year. Have you had a chance to watch them? Not too much. That's why I was asking. Um, but I know both of their losses are good losses. I believe they were both earlier in the season. So they lost to Kansas in the opener, um, which is not a bad loss by any means. They also lost to Baylor mm-hmm. early, uh, kind of late in November. So those are both teams that I expect to compete for the final four and it's early in the season. So we'll have to see um, if Michigan state can get themselves into a position to compete later on, but they still have, Marcus Bingham Jr., who I really like. He's a senior this year, um, as well as a pretty athletic group of guards. So, um, yeah, Michigan State uh, perennially is competitive. It looks like they will be again in the Big Ten. And then another team that has showed promise in the Big Ten is Ohio State. Uh, I feel like they've really had an up-and-down season so far. Um, you know, they lost to a few teams that – or decent teams like Xavier, Florida. Florida is a little bit, um, you know, it's it's not as good of a loss. Florida hasn't yeah. looked as strong as years previous. But right after that Florida game, they turned around and beat Duke, who was at the time ranked number one in the country. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, they've just kind of been up and down. So if they're able to kind of figure things out by the end of the season, they could also be a potential Final Four team. Uh, C.J. Liddell, um, I think, is a tremendous yeah. player. So, yep. 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 Ohio State had an early round exit in this last, uh, the last March Madness. I'm sure they are looking to do better this year, uh, led by CJ Liddell. Yeah. That was Oral Roberts, right? They lost to, I think so. Yeah. Oral Roberts. Yeah. Yep. Embarrassing. Who do you think is coming out of the Big Ten then uh, from these teams that we've discussed? Who would you put your money on? As the Big Ten champion? Yeah. Um, See, that's what, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I still feel like it's so wide open right now because if you would have asked me before conference play began, I would have said Purdue, but now they've dropped two of their first three games in the Big Ten play. Um, if, I, if it came down to it, I think um, current standing, I'd probably pick Michigan State because they have seemed to, seem to be the most consistent um, performers. But I think, you know, overall, I think Purdue is probably the most talented and the deepest team. So if they're able to, to get their act together, I think they could, they would probably come out on top. Okay. I would 
if I had to put money on it right now, I would be leaning either Purdue or Wisconsin from what I have seen from these teams. Michigan State um, has been good, but they haven't beaten any teams that are particularly good. They have one win in the, the AP Top 25 uh, right now. And all of their four conference wins are against kind of bottom dwellers, Northwestern, uh, Minnesota. I guess Minnesota's okay, actually. But um, I, I, I would, I would, uh, I, I'm looking forward to watching Wisconsin and Purdue. Those are the two teams I'm watching out of the Big Ten, personally. Yeah, the thing that concerns me with, with Wisconsin is their front court is very young. Um, mm. They have some talented players in the front court. Um, but, and, and we already mentioned the strength of their, their backcourt with Johnny Davis being tremendous and Brad Davison, you know, with his experience and he's around a 40% three-point shooter as well. So they're definitely a team to watch as well. But yeah, just the question is, because there's going to be a lot of big bodies for them to match up with in the big 10. Um, but the Wisconsin big guys, even though they basically all fouled out by the end of the game, they did their job against the Purdue big guys which probably are the best in the big 10 right now. So, yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Um, another conference we wanted to talk about was the big 12, which I think might actually be the best conference right now. What do you think Brady? Yeah, I would definitely say the big 12 is the number one college basketball conference right now uh, between Baylor who inexplicably, I guess not inexplicably, but once again is the number one, team in the country despite losing multiple in NBA uh, draft picks they're just reloading and yeah this just makes whenever I think about Baylor and the success that they've been having it makes you think of your your high school coach who would always tell you that defense wins championships and I you know that's that's a true statement and that's that's the way Baylor is able to find their success is through the defensive side of the ball um, I mean, earlier in the year when they played Villanova, they held them to 36 points. It's going to be hard to beat. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to be a, to beat a team that can hold you to 36 points. So that's, that's crazy. And they have guys that they, they are bought in to their system on defense and they play really hard. Uh, there's guys on this team like Flo Thamba. Flo Thamba, he's probably averaging like half a point a game despite, um, playing a significant amount of time for this team but he is so good at protecting the rim and uh they have they have length they have length and size and athleticism one through five uh across the board and they have a few key scorers who are helping them on the way particularly uh uh Kinjo. i don't i don't know if that's how you pronounce his name exactly he's a guard uh, is averaging 14 points a game. He's been great. Uh, Meyer's actually not been as good as I thought he would be. They're six eight tall guard. He's only averaging nine points a game, um, and only shooting 31 percent from three right now. So they're not I don't even know if this is the best version of this Baylor team. But despite that, they have been excellent all year. Yeah, their closest game that they've had so far came against Iowa State, where they pulled out a five-point win, and Iowa State was able to put 72 points up on the board. But other than that, they've been pretty dominant, and they still remain undefeated. So, 
Yep. They've been fun to watch. And then, um, I mean, another top team in the big 12, I'm sure you've been following is Texas. Uh, what have your thoughts been on uh, Texas's season so far? Um, as, like I mentioned before in the podcast, the Texas team is full of new transfers and they're, they have a lot of talent and they're having to try to gel and figure out their roles and figure out who's going to, who's going to be the leaders on this team. But uh, the last few games have been very encouraging for me because Marcus Marcus Carr has led the team in scoring the past two games. He seems to uh, be getting more comfortable in, in, uh, in leading the team, taking more shots and controlling the offense, which he needs to be. If Texas is going to be an elite team, Marcus Carr needs to be their best player. And he's, he's kind of been disappointing for a lot of the year, but he's starting to show promise that he's, he's getting ready to go but they are deep. This is a very deep athletic team uh, with Timmy Allen, Marcus Carr, Trey Mitchell has excellent post skills, Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, uh, Bishop from Creighton. Febris is an excellent three-point shooter. And then Dylan DeSue, I think is going to be another uh, very big contributor from him. He's a transfer from Vanderbilt who led the SEC in rebounds last year. He's about 6'9" very athletic all of their post players uh with maybe the exception of trey mitchell are can guard one through five so defensively they're an elite defensive team who's very athletic uh and if their offense can continue to kind of mold together around a market marcus Carr, then texas uh will be a threat to any team they play this year so do you feel like they're starting to come together as a team more and they're all starting to identify what roles they need to fill? I think so. I think it's, it's been weird watching the team because the past six years of Shaka Smart has been complaining about how the ball is very stagnant and they take a lot of bad shots because there's no ball movement. And there's, no, there's no motion in their offense, whereas this year it's almost been the opposite where they pass the ball too well sometimes. They'll give up like wide open shots to get someone else the ball when it's like, all right, uh, Febris, like you're open on the three-point line, shoot the ball. That's what you're there to do kind of thing. Or Timmy Allen, you have one-on-one at the rim. Don't kick it out, just shoot it. Uh, and I think that just is coming from fu- from having to try to get everyone comfortable. But now that you start to see Timmy Allen and Marcus Carr starting taking more volume in the shots. I think the team is starting to figure out, all right, these are our guys. Um, and if they're successful, if those, if those guys that they have decided are the leaders on offense can perform, then they're going to, they're going to do really well. Okay. Yeah. And I think the other team worth mentioning from the big 12 is definitely Kansas. Uh, the ring yeah. six, six right now. They um, they've had significant wins against non-conference teams like Michigan state. Um, I guess that's probably the main one that they've had, uh, so far, but they, they've looked pretty good. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on them? Um, Kansas definitely has, uh, has great potential. They could be a national championship contending team with, uh, as their leading scorer and Braun as a, a very good, uh, score from all three levels, but particularly from the three-point line. Remy Martin has been in and out hurt. He's the transfer from Arizona State, who's a very prolific scorer as well. 
So if Remy Martin can get fully healthy and integrated into the offense, that can bring Kansas to an entirely new level um, than what they have played at so far. Another concern for Kansas has actually been David McCormick, who is their best player last year, their 6'10 power forward, uh, who has, he's only averaging nine points a game at six rebounds a game right now. Um, so he's kind of struggled this year. Uh, and he, but he did have 19 points, I believe, in their last game and their last win against Oklahoma State. So if they can get McCormick going and get comfortable again and get into that physical rhythm that he was last year, and then implement Remy Martin into that offense. Kansas um, will be right up there, I believe, with Baylor and Gonzaga as the favorites to win it all this year. And I think another player for Kansas that um, needs to step up as well as Jalen Wilson, because last year he was averaging nearly 12 points a game, and he was a good scoring option with them to go along with Ojai Abaji. But this year, he has not been as prolific, um, only scoring about five points a game, so... Look for him to step up as well. Um, so I feel like, so those are probably the two, those are the two clear cut best conferences. The big 10 and the big 12 this year have the most teams in the top 25. We'll probably end up having the most NCAA tournament teams when that, when that time of year comes around. Um, and then for me, it's kind of a toss up on who's the next best conference. And it's gotta be between the sec and the big East. Um, so yeah, what are your thoughts on those two conferences? Man, uh, the Big East, I feel like, has been a little bit surprising. I would say they're more surprising than the SEC. I think the SEC is good, but they're who we thought they were. Whereas uh, I did not expect Providence to be ranked number 16 and have 13 wins already in this game, in this season. Uh, UConn has, has been better than they have been in the past few years. Seton Hall. Uh, has looked really good at times. They beat Texas uh, in a home game earlier this year. So I feel like top to bottom, the Big East is a better conference top to bottom. If you look at everybody, whereas at the, the, the highest teams in the SEC, I would count on more than the highest teams in the Big East because Villanova is down a little bit. Creighton is good but they're not ranked right now. Butler's not ranked. Marquette is down because they have Shaka Smart. So high-end <laughs> SEC, I would count on, whereas the Big East maybe is a little better top to bottom. Yeah, I think I would agree with that statement. The thing that um, makes me cautious about saying that is that even the high-end SEC teams haven't really beat anyone significant in the non-conference. And a few of them have lost to Big East teams like – Auburn lost to uh, UConn in a double overtime game back in mid-November. Um, and then Tennessee lost to Villanova. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of – it's going to be kind of an interesting situation. But I do think that this SEC is better than most SECs that we've seen in the past. So, with teams like Kentucky, LSU, Tennessee, and then Auburn is actually shown to be really um, a pretty good team as well. Um, so yeah, it'll, that'll be fun to, to watch them in the SEC play as that gets, um, carried out. I believe Jabari, Jabari Smith, the 6'10 freshman forward for Auburn. He, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe he's projected to be one of the top picks in the NBA draft. Is that correct? I don't know, to be honest. 
So. I think he's averaging 15 points a game. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, he, uh, he has led this Auburn team. They've looked really good. I watched LSU the other day. LSU's elite defensively in their exciting game over Kentucky. And uh, they have a couple guys uh, with Eason. And then also, I didn't realize uh, Pinson, the former Missouri guard, transferred to LSU. Mm, yep. Uh, so an in-conference transfer that, that helps the Tigers there. And J.D. Davidson and Alabama have also been impressive. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to watching those teams as the um, SEC conference play gets underway. I think that'll be fun. And then Tennessee has been extremely fun to watch as well because they've got a lot of exciting, very quick, fast guards that are really able to put points up on the board. Particularly, they've got a 5'9 guy who's fun to watch. Can't remember his name, but yeah, I just you always got to cheer for the little guy, you know. Yeah, makes it fun. Anyways, so I think that kind of wraps up um, our talk of college basketball. I guess offhandedly, I'll also kind of just mentioned the Pac-12. Um, they basically just have USC, Arizona, and uh, UCLA, who are all ranked in the top ten. But beyond that, they have nobody. And then I'm also kind of questioning how good like. USC is because they haven't really played anyone, anyone good at all. Um, but Arizona has beat some, some teams like Illinois and Michigan. They ended up losing a close game to Tennessee. So they've at least proved themselves a little bit more, but um, I'm sure I, I, I don't anticipate anyone besides those three teams making it into the NCAA tournament from the PAC 12 at the end of the season. All right. Well, I think that sums up our discussion of college basketball. So now we wanted to transition to talking about the NBA. And the big news in the NBA right now is really that uh, Kyrie Irving and Klay Thompson are returning for their teams. Kyrie Irving actually made his return last night, uh, playing on the road against the Indiana Pacers. And he actually had a pretty decent game. Um, he ended up uh, scoring 22 points and played pretty efficiently. Didn't turn the ball over a lot. I think he only had two turnovers. So, so. That'll be interesting going forward. However, the caveat is that he still is unable to play in Brooklyn. Um, so half of the future games, all the home games, he still won't be able to play. So he's like a part-time player right now. So it makes for a very interesting situation. And then um, on the other hand, Clay Thompson, um, right now he is, um, the plan is for him to return uh, on their home game on Sunday against the Cavaliers. So. That'll be kind of fun being in the home environment, also playing against the Cavs, which are traditionally, you know, a rival of the Golden State Warriors. So uh, and this has been a long anticipated return for Clay Thompson, of course, over it's been two and a half years now since he's seen the court um, and looking forward to his return. What so what, what are your thoughts on the return of these two players? And I guess the question that I wanted to pose is um, who do you think will have the greatest impact for their team? Um, I mean, I would definitely think Clay, a healthy Clay Thompson would have the greatest impact for the Warriors as opposed to a part-time Kyrie Irving for the Nets. Um, the Warriors have been very good this season, and I think the addition of Clay Thompson puts them at the, the next level, the elite level, to be serious contenders for the NBA championship. I think without Clay Thompson, they're a really good team that they can go to the conference finals. They maybe even could sneak their way into the championship game, but I don't know if 
they would be able to finish the deal uh, without Clay Thompson. As far as Kyrie Irving goes, I guess it, it will help him. It'll help the Nets for him to be back. But in the long term, I guess for if when they get in the playoffs, he's only going to be able to play at away games. Is that would that be my understanding? Is that correct? Yeah, as as things currently stand, that's how it would work. And I guess like you'd rather have Kyrie Irving than not have Kyrie Irving, but it's going to be difficult. You almost have like two teams that you have to keep some kind of rhythm for, especially for the role players to understand how they should play and react. I feel like that's going to be a little bit difficult when you have two, you're trotting two different teams out there, depending on if you're playing at home or away. Yeah, I agree. Um, And it's been interesting. There's been a lot of talk about potentially trading Kyrie Irving. Um, You know, the trade down line is coming up in a few months. So we'll have to see. I, I mean, I feel like there hasn't been anything they, you know, it's just all been rumors so far, but I mean, it's, it's not, it's not out of the question if he can only play half the games. I don't think that's something ridiculous to pose. However, maybe, you know, the Brooklyn Nets are trying to think more long-term because, you know, hopefully, I mean, hopefully next year there'd be less COVID restrictions and things to worry about. So that might not be as much of an issue. So I guess yeah, a question, and- a question for you about Kyrie um, and his status. Is there any other cities in the country that have this have similar laws to Brooklyn? Like, would he be able to play uh, in New York if they went to the Knicks or to Toronto? Like, are there any other cities that have similar restrictions? I think the Bay Area is the only one that I'm aware of in particular. So the Golden State Warriors would be the other team that fits that category. Um, But I think most, I think every other team and location in the NBA does not have that restriction placed. So he could go to any of those other teams and and play full-time. Okay. So. So that means that makes a, him as a trade asset uh, for other teams, it would still make, makes sense mm-hmm. he's not yeah. untradeable yeah he's definitely he's definitely tradable there's been talk of this is also just another rumors of a russell westbrook for kyrie irving trade which i don't know Ugh. i don't yeah i don't think i like that for either team i mean i think and well i especially for the brooklyn nets like giving up kyrie irving for an older russell, russell westbrook seems like a bad trade but yeah Anyways, reunite, but, reunite Kyrie with LeBron and yeah. Westbrook with Durant. <laughs> that would be interesting, especially since Westbrook, I, I know at least last I heard Westbrook and Durant didn't seem like they were getting along very well. Yeah. So anyways, but over, but I'm really looking forward to Clay Thompson's return. Um, I think they're going to limit him to like 15 to 20 minutes a game. So he won't be playing that much getting coming out of the gate, but that's probably, you know, a good thing. You know, and coming off, you know, injuries like both of the last injuries that he suffered, it'll be interesting to see how much he, how he's able to get back to his former form. Um, I, I don't want to set my expectations too high for him, but I'm hoping at least by the end of the season, he'll, you know, he'll get at least to a remnant of what he used to be. So, so we'll see how that goes, but very exciting. 
Um, I guess real briefly, I also just wanted to talk about, we, we mentioned this you know, with Kyrie Irving and everything, but COVID is heavily impacting the NBA. And it's been interesting to see that um, uh, some of these rosters have just been decimated and they haven't even had enough players to, to put on the floor. They've had to sign like some kind of wild 10 day contracts with players that haven't really been in the league, like Isaiah Thomas, Lance Stevenson, so on and so forth. And it's just kind of made it to be kind of chaotic. And it's hard. You don't know who you're going to be getting day in and day out, regardless of injuries and everything, just because you don't know who's going to test positive for COVID. So what are your thoughts um, surrounding that situation in the NBA? Uh, Lance Stevenson is still, people are still giving him a, a light of day. A 10-day contract. I mean, there's a reason why he doesn't have like a long-term contract, but he did sign a 10-day contract. I think it was with the Pacers, actually. So he got to play for uh, his former team. Well, they still like him there, I guess. I don't know. I don't have a lot of opinions on how the NBA and just sports in general are handling this uh, upsurge of the Omicron variant which is, from my understanding, I'm not a doctor. I could be totally wrong on some of these things. I'm not claiming to be uh, super well-informed, but from everything I've read and heard is not lethal, like almost at all, and especially not to people who are relatively healthy and is an overreaction and honestly is seems to be a uh, just virtue signaling from the NBA that we protect our players and we do all this and that when when uh, there's been so many accounts of of leagues, the MLB, particularly National Football League, but also in the NBA historically and other other leagues where they've uh, encouraged players to go out when they are hurt. And when they're sick and when they're struggling, um, that it just, it is just strange to me that we, we memorialize Michael Jordan's flu game and Dirk Nowitzki's flu game in the 2011 finals. But then when there's a, essentially a cold that's not Mm -hmm. dangerous in any way, we need to shut everything down. That just doesn't make any sense to me. So you might have a little bit more information than I do on this topic, but that's just kind of my general thoughts about the whole situation right now. I mean, yeah, I'm definitely not a coronavirus expert, even though I am studying immunology. I haven't really been focusing on the coronavirus because whenever I study the coronavirus, it kind of makes me depressed. Um, But from the data that I have seen, it does seem like um, the Omicron is less deadly. It is more transmissible, but it seems like people have more long lasting immunity against it. So really in the long run, it's going to be, yeah, something akin to like if the common cold and everything. Um, however, I feel like it's become, it's just because the virus has become so politicized that um, if, you, if you try to downplay um, a, a coronavirus infection, then you just get canceled. I don't know if you followed uh, LeBron James a couple weeks ago, uh, posted something on Twitter. He posted a meme of like, have you, you know, you've seen the scene where all the, the old tar- cartoon Spider-Man are pointing at each other, yeah. right? And, but the, the cartoon Spider-Man were labeled like 
the common cold, flu, Omicron variants, you know, stuff like that. So he's basically saying, you know, they're all the same thing, which I mean, honestly, you can't really like pretty much fault him for that because he's right to a certain extent, but he got destroyed by so many people, you know, and, you know, to the point where like, I mean, I don't think anyone could ever cancel LeBron James, but um, they did as much as they could, I feel like. And I even like, I think it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar came out and like spoke against him doing that. Anyways, yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate because it has become such a politicized thing. And, um, you know, I think we're probably going to have to endure this to the end of this season, but I'm hoping that next season we'll be able to kind of um, get past all these crazy uh regulations surrounding the coronavirus and that we'll be able to get back to some sort of normalcy uh when it comes to professional sports so anyways didn't want to get too political there but we thought we'd at least touch on it but the last thing um brady actually wanted to talk to the nba which is a rare thing um why did you want to talk about the nba brady uh just this week the big german dirk Nowitzki just had his number retired in the rafters american airlines arena in Dallas, um, the greatest Dallas Maverick ever, and I would say the second greatest international basketball player of all time, uh, just had his jersey retirement. And I just wanted to take a minute to express my appreciation for being able to watch Dirk Nowitzki throughout my childhood as both a professional athlete who's very fun, he was very successful, won an MVP, won a, won a NBA championship, and probably, I, I would argue, the, the most, either the first or second most gratifying NBA championship ever, uh, at least for me personally, as a, I'm primarily a Spurs fan, but I'm secondarily a Mavericks fan, and being able to get the heat again after getting punked in the 2005 uh, finals where they got screwed over by the NBA and the refs cheated them, which we'll talk about later. But to get the same Heat team, not the same team, but get the Heat again in his like in his prime and to be able to, with Jet Terry, uh, win that championship in 2011 was excellent. It was so satisfying to watch his the arc of his career and overcome some of his weaknesses. Um, that he kind of struggled with early on and the stereotypes of soft European players being able to overcome those and, and, and succeed at the highest level. And also just for who Dirk Nowitzki is. That's one of the things I appreciated most about him and Tim Duncan. Those are my two favorite players is they are seem to be not that I know them personally, but just from everything I've seen from them and their interactions with fans and the media and other teammates on the court they are very genuine uh kind humble individuals who set a great example for those who who look up to these nba stars and i just appreciate who dirk Nowitzki is what he represents and his loyalty to the dallas mavericks and just his supporting his overall excellence of his career yeah, I agree. It's It was so good to see that. And I don't know if you've noticed as well, but in American Airlines Arena, they've imprinted the one-footer Dirk logo on the court. I thought that was a cool <laughs> homage to him as well. 
Um, so I, I don't know how long they'll keep that there, but along with the retired jersey, that really represents the impact that he had, that he had on that franchise. Um, I just want to go back. I think you mentioned that you thought Dirk Nowitzki was the second best. Was it European or international? Player? International. Second to, Inter- would you say? Team Olajuwon. Oh, okay. Hakeem Olajuwon. I guess that's a, a pretty good go down. I guess I was thinking more like European as well, because I would, yeah. would you say that he's the best European uh, player? Yeah, he's, yeah, he is the best European. Yeah. And it's cool to see that, you know, on the Dallas Mavericks now, we have um, a couple European players that have been really good, like Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. So you can really see how Dirk Nowitzki really paved the way for them, because like, as you mentioned, kind of up to that that point that Dirk Nowitzki entered the NBA, the European players were viewed as soft and that they couldn't really compete on the same level as all the American players. But Dirk Nowitzki was able to go in there and prove the naysayers wrong and, yeah, pave the way for these younger players. And now Luka Doncic is looking like he will be, you know, one of the faces in the NBA uh, moving forward. So, yeah, no one's calling uh, no one's calling Giannis Antetokounmpo soft. <laughs> <laughs> right now that's true that is true a couple of quick things with Dirk while we're on the topic uh one is I still don't understand how people in the media professionals mispronounce Dirk Nowitzki's name at such a abundant level that they call him Dirk Nowitzki which is Americanized that's not his name he's German he's from Germany it's Nowitzki, always has been Nowitzki. And the public address announcer at the Jersey retirement ceremony announced him as Dirk Nowitzki. And I just don't understand. It's just baffling to me that he's been like a Hall of Fame level player for all of my lifetime. And people don't say his name correctly. Uh, and I mean, it's kind of a hard name, but it's not, it's not very complicated. People it's, get, it's and, as, like, I just mentioned Giannis. Yeah, into the Kumpo's name, people get right. But you can't pronounce Nowitzki. It's all, it's almost intentional. I feel like I don't understand why that. So that's one thing I just wanted to throw out there. I was just annoyed about with my public service announcement. Um, and then the other thing um, was, oh, I can't remember what it was right now. There was another thing. If I remember it later, I'll get back to it. So you'll have to tune in to the next episode where Brady <laughs> remembers the thing he was going to say. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, unless Brady remembers his thing, I think we're going to move on to our next segment, which is going to be... Oh, I remember. I remember. Oh, he remembers. Okay. Uh, I don't think this will ever happen because I don't think this is his personality that he would want to do this. But if you want to have the next Charles Barkley in uh, NBA media commentary, in the NBA commentary realm, Dirk Nowitzki would be great at that because he's very good with a microphone, very good in front of a camera, and he's really funny. He has a very uh, he's very good English for being foreign born. I think he would be great at a inside the NBA type role. Um, I don't think he's ever going to do it because I don't think he that's something that he wants to do. He's not very outspoken. But when he does speak, he's very likable, very funny, 
very engaging. Uh, so yeah, I would like to see that. I don't think he will, but I would like to see that. Yeah, I agree. The interviews that I've seen with him, he seems like he has a really good sense of humor too. So maybe they'll get him to guest star, you know, on Inside the NBA mm -hmm. one of these times. And that'd be, that'd be fun to watch. Okay, well, to wrap up this episode, we just wanted to talk about our favorite sports movies, the best sports movies of all time, in our opinions. And as you might expect, we're going to do a top five. I mean, we switched it up right. last time we did a top four, but we're going back to the good old top five. So, so yeah, we'll just count down from five to one. Um, Brady, who is your number, or not who, but what is your number five best sports movie of all time? My number five best sports movie of all time that I can remember is Happy Gilmore. I haven't seen that one, so. Really? Never seen Happy Gilmore. Gilmore. I've heard about the, it a lot. Uh, I feel like it's quoted a lot too. So it's probably, in my opinion, I'm not a huge Adam Sandler fan, but that's probably why this is my favorite Adam Sandler movie. Is Happy Gilmore? It's a classic. Uh, there's a fight. Bob Barker gets in a fight, which is amazing. Uh, the classic Adam Sandler character, who is a wannabe hockey player, tries golf and takes over the golf world, beating Shooter McGavin. Uh, and he gets the girl at the end. It's a great movie. Great movie. You should watch it. Okay, I'll, I'll put that on my list of things to watch. Um, I didn't actually have this on my list before, but now I'm going to include it as an honorable mention as Waterboy, because you mentioned mm. Adam Sandler. That's also a pretty good one. That is pretty good. Um, not on my top five, but that's a good honorable mention. Um, so number five for me is Cool Runnings. Ah. The Jamaican bobsled team. It's kind of a fun movie. I mean, not like bobsledding is a major sport, but it's fun to watch. Okay. Okay. Um, my number four is uh, Space Jam. Movie we have talked about before. It's not actually that great of a movie, but it has Michael Jordan doing Michael Jordan things in it. And as someone who was born in 1995 and my first sports memories were Michael Jordan is amazing. That was like the ultimate, the ultimate basketball movie it had great music too, as well. Some great music in that movie. Yeah, I agree. Space Jam is my number four too. So surprising <laughs> we both got the same uh, ranking for that one, but yeah, just for the nostalgia factor. Um, doesn't Do you hold have up a favorite well watching it again, but well, I don't know about that because I don't well, know it if still I ever holds thought up, it was but it good. like yeah. Well, I thought it was good when I was younger. I was like, man, this is awesome. Well, what let me tell you what what were your like two favorite moments of the movie, would you say? Um when Michael Jordan reaches down in the golf hole and then he gets pulled down by Bugs Bunny, <laughs> that one. And then at the end when he like, you know, he has the buzzer beater where he dunks it from half court. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess maybe that I could see if those are your two favorite moments, why it wouldn't be, do as well when you're older. What <laughs> are your two favorite moments? My favorite two at the very beginning when he's a little kid and he's like outside in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. And like, then it goes into the Space Jam theme song at the very end. So, like, that moment's awesome. And then, whenever they bring MJ all his gear 
and they like fix the gym and everything and then it's like a minute and a half of him just slow motion dunking and yeah. like dribbling around with the with the fly like an eagle seal music in the background those are the two like i could just watch those on repeat and then want to go uh do layups because i can't dunk but like <laughs> pretend <laughs> pretend i'm michael jordan Anyways, that's a very good movie. That's a good choice for both of us, I think, at number four. Who's your number three, Jordan? Number three for me is The Sandlot. Okay. Pretty fun one. Lots of good memories with The Sandlot. So, yep. What about your number three? It's also The Sandlot. Oh, my goodness. I I almost forgot about The Sandlot. Uh, It wasn't in my original five, and then Sarah actually mentioned it to me today when I was talking to her. And, yeah, that's definitely has to be a top five movie. I'm surprised that you're a anti-baseball, don't care about baseball person that you like the sand a lot. I'm not anti-baseball. I'm just not pro-baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. All right, what's your number two? Number two is Glory Road. This is your, I assume this is your number one. So Yeah, I uh, assume we have our, our number two alert. and number one probably swip, or swapped. Probably, yeah. You, you go ahead and talk about Glory Road because this is your movie. I'll let you let you have the spot here. But now I'm talking about it in number two instead of number one. Anyways, no. So Glory Road is a fantastic movie. Follows the 1966 Texas Western Miners in their legendary title run, um, beating out Kentucky, who was you know a big favorite that year. Um, and it's just it talks about you know how they this was the first team to have five African-American starters um, and to really have a predominant African-American team because uh, they, you know, a lot of people were very critical of African-Americans and they said that they couldn't compete with, you know, all the white players playing basketball and things like that. And obviously they've been shown wrong throughout the last uh, 50 years or so. Um, now you can hardly even, now, now there's always the token white guy at the end of the bench instead of the token black guy at the end of the bench. So um, yeah, it was, it's just a wonderful story, like inspirational, how they overcame racism and criticism and really rose to be, uh, you know, national champions. So. And it's also oh, kind of funny too. I um, always love to them. see the juxtaposition of bringing all these guys from like New York into El Paso <laughs> and having them uh, have to interact and live in that culture in the 1960s. Um, but that is, it's also probably the best basketball movie when you actually watch the basketball being played. That's one of my biggest pet peeves with sports movies is because they get actors to play in these games. The actors are usually like that. five, seven, 110 pounds, and they have, they're not athletic unless they like did gymnastics or something, but that's not hand-eye coordination athletic. They're not like very good at sports. And so it's not actually very fun to watch all the basketball scenes, but in Glory Road, it's pretty good. I they have, do a very good job. Uh, yeah, they're all that. very skilled. All those actors yeah. are very skilled players. So, yeah, that does make it fun to watch. Okay, so so there's my number one as well. Um, my number my number two was Remember the Titans. Yep. Fantastic movie. Is that your number one? Yep, that's my number one. Yeah. It's a very similar type of story as mm-hmm. Glory Road, same time period, um, integration in the 
in the high schools in Virginia at the time and just the story of um, how this team of of previously separated Southern uh, groups of kids come together to uh, become one as a team and work together. And football of all the sports is the team where you have to all be on the same page or it doesn't work. And to see the, it was great acting in that movie. Um, obviously the performance of uh, Coach Boone uh, by Denzel Washington uh, is great. The The scene where they, they are in kind of tr- summer two-a-days training camp and they jog out to uh, Gettysburg and uh, Coach Boone has that that speech where he talks about the the uh, fight between the North and the South and and how that fight is still happening today trying to fight for the rights of those um, who have been oppressed and and uh, and uh, the importance of coming together as one and overcoming these adversities is, is a great moment. Uh, and yeah, it's my number one sports movie. Nice. I'm surprised how much uh, overlap we had on that list. I yeah. thought I thought you might have had some different ones, especially since I haven't seen some of the other kind of more well-known uh, sports movies like uh, Miracle, yeah, the hockey movie in Field of Dreams, The Rookie, stuff like that. But, but yeah, I think yeah. those are those are the best. So yeah, I had a a few notable mentions, which have already you've already mentioned them. Actually, I have not actually seen all of Cool Runnings. I've only seen bits of Cool Runnings. So that would be one I would despite having it's high on my list of ones I want to see I have high expectations for as well as Field of Dreams I haven't watched Field of Dreams actually I need to watch Field of Dreams and The Rookie is my number six that got bumped when I remembered I didn't have the Sandlot on my list so The Rookie is also very good Um, one hot take I have I don't know what you think about this actually is Hoosiers is not just the most overrated sports movie, but maybe the most overrated movie of all time. I don't think it's, I don't, I, I don't just think that it's not as good as everyone says it is. Cause there's a lot of people that think that Hoosiers is the best sports movie ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I remember watch coming in, watching that movie, being excited, people telling me Hoosiers is a great movie. It's basketball. I love basketball. Uh, this is going to be great and watching it and being thoroughly disappointed. I haven't seen it since. Um, have you seen Hoosiers, Jordan? I have. It's been a while. And I did I did kind of feel the same thing because I had also had it got hyped up for me too. But I wouldn't go as far as to say that it's the most overrated movie of all time. I think there's probably many other candidates for that list. But, um, but maybe, yeah, maybe the most overrated sports movie for sure. Because, um, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like it was actually that good. Um, definitely not as good as advertised it's it's a movie that requires you to cheer for the underdog team right except for that the head coach and main character of the team is like an abusive jerk who i don't (laughs) want to succeed like i don't like him i don't want him to do well and 
that's maybe the worst part is that I don't I don't like the people I'm trying to cheer for. And then also all the other players are pretty much worthless as far as character development. I'm not interested in any of the players except for the one player who is really good and then come when he comes on the team they become really good and they go and they win which isn't really teaching uh there is no i in team it's hey if you have a player who's really good then you can win and if you don't then you can't win so yeah yeah it's uh yeah it's really bad i I don't think I've ever been more disappointed in a movie than Hoosiers, personally. Yeah, I think I've only watched it the one time and I haven't really had a desire to watch it again. Whereas with Glory Road, I've seen that. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen Glory Road. Glory Road's excellent. Similar yeah. type of movie. Uh, but done, done much, much better. better. Yep. Yep. Okay, well, there you have it, folks. Top five best sports movies of all time. So thank you for joining us on this episode of the Provo Pick and Roll podcast. Um, we're glad that you were able to uh, listen to our various opinions and rantings. Um, so until next time, Woosh Kevin. Go Cougs.